good morning and welcome back to uh, Water and Stone. My name is Dieter Randolph and I'm really happy to be back with you. As you probably know, we pre-record uh, my Sunday morning messages so that I can join you in the chat and answer any questions. By the way, if you're watching this live, please take advantage of that. I'm right there in the chat along with everybody else. Even if it's just to say hello and good morning, please take the opportunity to do that. It's really fun to be part of that live community. But as I said, we pre-record them and for all kinds of reasons, it's been a little while since we've been able to record some of these. And so it's really a welcome back for me too. It's a lot of fun to get to do this. Uh, I'm really, really honored in so many ways by this experience. You know, we're trying to figure out how the whole thing works in the COVID world. And you've heard me talk about that over and over and over and over again. But I gotta say, I'm really grateful for the ways in which this community finds ways to knit itself back together. I've had some interesting conversation through email about some theological stuff, some things that have come up uh, through the Bible passages that we've read, really good and interesting and in-depth things, things that I'm not sure would have come up if we'd have been in a regular church environment because it's so easy to just put that on the shelf of a Sunday morning thing. But because we're having to interact in different ways, it's kind of a big deal. So it's exciting. And I'm excited because today we're going to be talking about Jonah. Now, the story of Jonah is another one of those stories that you probably remember a little bit from Sunday school. You know, Jonah and the whale. And if you got a little bit more sophisticated, you know that it's not a whale, it's a fish. The Bible says a big fish, stuff like that. But it's another one of those stories. And as we go through, and one of the reasons I called this series Sunday School is that a lot of the stories, maybe even all of the stories, are stories that you heard in Sunday school and you kind of remember a little bit. And as it turns out, it's a great thing to tell a story that's already in your bones because when you find the meaning, and believe me, there is deep meaning in this story, especially this one today, it's huge. When you find the meaning in a story that's already in your bones, it's like a shortcut. You get to go right to the head of the class. You get to go right to the place where you're applying that meaning in your life. And I'm hearing from your feedback that that's working for you. And I'm so glad. Keep that feedback coming. But enough about that. Let's get started on today's lesson with our opening prayer. God is and I am. I stand on holy ground. Right here and right now, there is truth. Right here and right now, there is freedom. Right here and right now, there is life. This is who I am. I am ready. From now on, I speak the truth. From now on, I choose freedom. From now on, this is my life. The unstoppable love of God prepares the way. I am ready. And so it is and so it does in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here we go. We're going to talk about Jonah, and conveniently enough, this is located in the book of Jonah in, uh, in the Old Testament. And as we get started, I want to sort of set the stage a little bit. This story has to do with a lot of things. It has to do with good coming from unexpected sources. It has to do with the power of learning things the hard way. 
You know, it's wonderful to learn things the easy way when that comes up. But man, oh man, some of my best lessons, and I bet some of yours, have come when you had to go the long way around. And Jonah is an archetype of going the long way around. And there's something really great about that if you just accept it. And this is something that Jonah has to learn the hard way. It's the hard way on top of the hard way. This is a story about accepting people for where they're at in the journey of life instead of uh, wanting them to live up to your standards. And above all else, this is a story about serving people who are not on the same page as you. This is about serving people who are, quote unquote, this is not a word I'm crazy about, but quote unquote sinners, or quote unquote, this is a word I'm really not crazy about, enemies, quote unquote other. This is about serving those people. Now, you know as well as I do that Jesus tells us to love our enemies, for example. You know as well as I do that one of the hallmarks of this path that we are on is not just being nice to your friends, not just showing outrageous love and radical mercy when it's convenient for you. This is about serving people who are different than you in one way or the other. That is absolutely huge. It is a hallmark of everything that we do. It's something that Jonah is not great at. Another reason I love this story is because Jonah, while he is the prophet, he gets the book named after him, all of that, he's kind of the butt of the joke. He's the one in the story who really doesn't get it. There are people in this story, as we're going to see in just a moment, who know far less than he does, who haven't been to school, so to speak, who don't have that, uh, you know, they don't have God on speed dial. And yet they are open and receptive in ways that Jonah is not. It's an interesting uh, turnabout in this story. We have to serve people who don't do things according to our idea of what the right thing is. Until you can do that, you're not really doing what you're supposed to be doing here on planet Earth in this life experience. That's a big deal. Can it be okay with you that people love and learn and live differently than you? Until it can, you're not learning what you need to learn and you are bound to do things the hard way, which is one of the things that, that Jonah talks about in his story. Before I get into that, I want to mention that in a book called Christian Healing, Charles Fillmore, uh, you should read Christian Healing. Everybody should own a copy of that. Charles Fillmore talks about the idea of it's okay to judge because you're supposed to Make a decision about what's healthy for you, what's not healthy for you. It's not okay to judge other people. It's okay to want the best for other people, but it's not okay to want your best for other people. So I'm going to say that again. It's okay to want the best for other people, but it's not okay to want your best for other people. This is a huge lesson. This is a Jonah lesson, but it's one that we see in a number of places in the Bible. And frankly, it's one of the things that we see a lot in our own lives. Man, oh man, as you know, I, I pray about my kids every single day when I do my prayer time, my kids come up and they're both grown and they're doing great. And I'm so proud of them. I could just about pop. But one of the things I learned early on is there was a temptation to say, OK, I want my daughter Raina to do this and that and the other. And I want my son Miles to do this and that and the other because I know what's best. I'm the parent. I put the time in and the money and I got the receipts, you know, but they're not here to live my life. 
And to the degree that I had tried to make my kids live my life, there was static and frustration and you know, because you've probably done it in one version or another too. And so the prayer that I learned to pray early on in my kids' lives are, may they step into their power. It's one of the things I say when I pray about my kids every day. May they step into their power. May they know how wonderful they are. May they live that power according to their relationship with you, God, not according to mine. Charles Fillmore says that that one of the ways you can know if you're trying to want the best for somebody or want your best for somebody is, are you trying to, in his words, affix a punishment? Now, that sounds pretty harsh, but in the negative side, when you say, well, here's what ought to happen to that person. They ought to be, you know, dragged out of the room and, and roughed up or whatever, you know, that kind of a thing. But it's also affixing a punishment is also another way of saying what I want for them is I want them to get this job because I know that's going to be the best thing for them. And I want them to live in this town because it's a neighborhood I like and all that. You're still affixing a punishment. In other words, you are prescribing an outcome when you are not in the outcome business. That is God's job. This is a Jonah lesson. But I want you to take a minute before we even get into the story and think about the ways that you pray about other people. We can't pray for people, right? Because you can't learn for them, can't grow for them, can't love for them, can't live for them. You sure as heck can't pray for them. You can pray about them, right? But when you pray about the people who are on your heart, are you affixing a punishment? Are you ascribing an outcome? Or are you holding them in light? You know what? When you pray about somebody, can you just see them happy? Even if it's not your idea of happy. This is huge. This is a big, grown-up step. But man, oh man, to the degree that you can do that, things get easier. Because for, for one thing, you're going to stop doing things that you're not designed to do. And that is incredibly healthy. So, with that in mind, let's talk a little bit about Jonah. Jonah is the prophet in the story. But it's really interesting because, as I said a few minutes ago, Jonah is supposed to be, quote-unquote, supposed to be the one who knows what to do, the one who is at ease in his relationship with God, the one that's read all the books and been to all the classes and has the right outfit and the whole thing. But Jonah is the one who really needs to learn. This isn't a story about Jonah saving a town. This is a story about the exercise of saving the town saving Jonah. Oh, it happens a lot that way when you really think about it, doesn't it? I think so often in church situations, we are taught to look for some kind of a finish line. Can you be saved? Have you found Jesus? Why is he hiding? Have you found Jesus? Have you done the thing? Did you get sprinkled, dunked, whatever? Did you have the thing happen to you? And I don't mean to belittle that because I think that the rituals and the ceremonies are in fact beautiful and meaningful and important. But the problem is that they don't just happen once. I want us to get to the place where we stop thinking of a big word like salvation as some kind of a finish line. This isn't like getting a home plate in a game of baseball. And if you really know your baseball, you know the players come up again. You're up a bat again, and you got to do it again. Life is kind of like that. At no point are you done growing. So let's start thinking about salvation or enlightenment or just getting the idea. Whatever words you want to use are fine with me. Let's start thinking about that not as a one-time finish line thing, but rather as a continual process. 
Salvation is a continual process, not because there's always more evil or something like that, that you know that's not where I'm coming from, but simply because there is always more growing to do. In the story, Jonah knows all the stuff that he's supposed to know, and yet he's the one who doesn't get it because you have to keep going back to the well, so to speak. You have to keep doing this. And when you think about it, it's not unlike anything else. You know, you can't go to one yoga class and say, okay, I've done yoga, you know. You can't eat one meal and say, I'm done eating. You can't walk your dog all at once, you know. Everything important is a continual process. You don't say, I love you just once to your, your partner and then you're done with it, right? That's weird. That's the beginning of a country song, you know. Well, life is a continual process. The seasons come around again. As I talk to you, we're looking down spring here, you know? Things are changing. The world's putting itself back together. You are too. So that's the groundwork. That's the message. This is about faith and receptivity and follow-through. It's not just about knowing the, the things you're supposed to know. So Jonah to actually begin the story after all of that lead up, but it's kind of important. So Jonah is this prophet, and the word of God tells Jonah that he is supposed to go to this town called Nineveh. It's a big city. He's supposed to go to Nineveh and save and bless and basically straighten people out. The people of Nineveh, the king, the whole thing, they're messing up. Don't need to go into a lot of detail about it because, frankly, the book of Jonah doesn't go into a whole lot of detail about it. They're just not on the right path. And the word of God presents itself to Jonah and says, go, go fix, go help them out, you know, will you? They need a hand. And Jonah says, hey, I already go to the right church. I got my act together. Who cares what those people do? They're a bunch of jerks anyway. God says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah gets on a boat to go as far from Nineveh as he can. Now, <laughs> I have to say, <clears throat> that's really funny to me right away because <clears throat> Jonah knows a lot of things. And one of the things that Jonah knows is that our God is the capital G God, the God who is everywhere, the author of the cosmos and the author of love in your heart and everything in between. So where are you going to go to get away from God? It's kind of silly. And yet, I got to tell you, there have been times in my life and maybe times in your life too where the, the thing that you ended up doing was the equivalent of trying to run away from God. How many times have you run away from love or from the answer or from the thing that you really know you're supposed to do but it's too hard to do and your ego gets in the way and you don't want to do it? How many times have people tried to run away from God in one way or the other. Well, don't do it anymore <laughs> because we see what happens to Jonah. And in fact, if you look at your own life, you have been in the whale and <laughs> the big fish in one way or another too. You know what that feels like. And frankly, the Bible says quit it, right? That's, that's going to be on the t-shirt. The Bible says quit it. But so Jonah gets on this boat to get away from God, to go away from Nineveh, this town that he's supposed to go to. And what happens when you do something the hard way? 
when you do what you know you're not supposed to do. Well, there are consequences. Life bounces back at you for every action. There's an equal and opposite reaction in all of that. You get it. And so here's Jonah asleep in this boat. And a storm comes. And it's not just a shower. This is a Bible-sized storm. This is an Old Testament-sized storm. Such a big deal that it really feels like the minnow will be lost, if you know what I mean. Such a big deal that the sailors, who are obviously experienced, it's their job, are freaking out. Now, these sailors don't know about capital G, God. They haven't, they haven't read the pamphlets. They don't know about any of that. They have whatever, uh, you know, materialistic gods that people who've been to a lot of places have, and I have this God for this and this God for this. Instead of one big capital G God, they got a lot of small G gods. And, and so they're not on the same page at all. But it's interesting, because while Jonah is asleep on the boat, the sailors of the boat say, this storm is so bad that there must be something spiritual going on here. Think about that. Here's Jonah, the guy that's supposed to know what's going on, running away from it. And here's these sailors with no, no book learning about this, who just have this simple idea that maybe there's, there's God stuff afoot. And the Bible says they cast lots to determine who has offended some particular god or the other. Okay, so the god, there's some god that's mad about this, right? So we got to figure out who so we can deal with that. We can fix the situation. We can get home because we can't row for shore. It's not happening. It's just the storm's too bad. The Edmund Fitzgerald level situation that we're in is, is unsolvable until we take this to divine level. Isn't that interesting that the unschooled know to go right to the divine? And yet you get the idea from reading the book of Jonah that Jonah kind of turns up his nose at these simple people, you know? There's a lesson there, isn't there? But so they cast lots. And you might imagine that's a little bit like drawing straws or flipping a coin, that kind of a level of thing. But you might not know that it's not just a matter of, you know, playing rock, paper, scissors or playing some kind of random game to determine something. Two ancient peoples... There's no such thing as chance, because they know something that I think a lot of modern people, quote-unquote modern people, don't know. There's no such thing as chance. Everything happens as part of this universe that is part of God, right? So it's important to understand, historically, those sailors were not casting lots as some kind of a random thing. They didn't believe in that. They believed that doing that would get their ego out of the way and let the divine determine it. So this was really a spiritual practice for them. It's not a spiritual practice that we see a lot. It's certainly not something that Jonah was interested in. I'm sure he sneered at the whole thing. But they cast lots, and by doing that, they determined that Jonah was the one who had messed up. This is interesting. Faith of any kind will work because it's still faith. Now, it is limited in its results, it won't get you all the way to where you need to be, but it will get you to the place where you can expand your horizons. And that's exactly what happens. The sailors have a very small idea, but their idea is we're going to let God be in charge of this instead of letting us be in charge of it. They have faith in something, and that simple faith brings a result. It brings them to Jonah. 
who is a representative of capital G God. Any kind of faith will bring results, and if you're open and receptive, it will expand your horizons until you can get an even bigger idea about God, an even bigger experience of faith. The lesson is give yourself to faith instead of sneering at it. Look, if you're watching this, you've probably watched me do a lot of these, and there are times when I kind of make light of all of the materialistic things that people think they need to do to talk to God. And just to, to get on the same page, there are some people that feel like God's in some kind of treehouse and you gotta know the password and so they just shout as many words as they can. There are people that think that God will only listen to you if you wear the right outfit or if you go to the right place on the right day of the week. God will only listen to you if you burn the right sage and you read the right books and you take the right classes and all of that. And you see that in very traditional religion and you see that in very quote unquote progressive religion. I've had people uh, sneer in a quote-unquote open and accepting modern progressive church because they didn't face the four directions the right way or eat the right herb or whatever, play the drums the right way. I've seen the same level of snobbery all across the spectrum of conservative and progressive. And so part of what I do here is, is kind of chuckle at that because you don't need the password to get in God's treehouse. You don't need to, to see some guru to find the key to the universe because it's been left unlocked. But as I make light of all of that, I want to make sure that we understand together that at the end of the day, I don't mind if somebody feels like they've got to sage the room. I don't mind if somebody feels like they can't get there spiritually unless they've had the right tea or whatever. Because while that's not my practice and while I don't think you really need that, you're still doing faith. And I'm in the faith business. So at the end of the day, what do I care? I just want you to keep following that path. I just want you to make sure that you really understand that sage isn't the thing you should stop with. You know? Tea isn't the thing you should stop with. The outfit isn't the thing you should stop with. Let your faith experience expand your horizons instead of giving you a place to stay. Right? Like I said before when we talked about salvation, this is not just a thing you hold still at. So, okay, back to it. The sailors cast lots. They figure out that it's Jonah. They wake him up, and they're like, how can you sleep at a time like this? And by the way, we know that you're the one that messed up in some way or another with your God. So who's your God? Let's start there. Who's your God? And Jonah says, oh, well, I serve the big G God, uh, the one who created the heavens and earth and the whole thing and you and me and, and everything in between. I'm, I, I serve that God. That's, that's my guy, so to speak. And the sailors say, well, why are you trying to run from God? You know, we got a lot of little gods and you know better than us, supposedly, and yet you're trying to run. What are, what, what are you doing? And Jonah basically says, well, you wouldn't understand. And they say, well, can you, can you talk to your God? Can you do whatever ritual you do? Do you have something you can do to, to make God not angry, to make the storm go away, to, to fix this situation? Because we're all going to die. And Jonah basically says, I love this, he basically says, my God doesn't do, you know, there's not a ritual thing. My God doesn't do this. I have to fix what I did. I'm the problem. 
God isn't a personality that I can sway in one way or the other. I'm the problem. So here's the situation. I know that God is going to protect me. He's got a job for me to do. By the way, remember, this is one of the ongoing threads throughout what we've talked about throughout this whole Sunday School series. One of the ways you know it's God talking is it gives you a job to do. God never says, stay just like you are. God always says, go do a thing, go grow, go help somebody. But Jonah says, look, God's going to keep me safe. It's fine. Just throw me overboard and I'll deal with it. And the sailors, once again, that simple faith, that simple love, say, are you sure? We don't really want to hurt you. But they pray. They say, okay, God, that we don't know. We're going to do this, but please keep this weirdo safe. I'm paraphrasing. But that's basically it. They don't want to do it. But Jonah says, fine, don't worry about it. They throw Jonah overboard, and Jonah is swallowed by the big fish that you've seen in your Sunday school handouts. And Jonah is in the belly of the fish for three days. Now, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That comes up a lot. Jesus is in the tomb for three days. You see that number. And as we've said, when you're talking about a duration, just think of it as as long as it takes. It might not have been three successive periods of 24 hours. It doesn't matter. This is a truer than true situation. Jonah is in the belly of the fish for as long as it takes. And I'm not going to read it to you in the interest of time, but the whole second chapter of the book of Jonah is the prayer that Jonah prays while he's in the belly of the fish. And the essence of the prayer is, okay, God, I get it. I know that, that wherever I go, you're there. I know that I can't run from you. And in fact, I know that every time I've been in trouble, you're the one that gets me out of the trouble. I get it. I know that this is not an ego thing. I know that you do what you do. And so I give. I know that you're God in this situation, not my ego. And frankly, my friends, I've prayed that prayer before. <laughs> Maybe you have too. I know what it is to be in the belly of Charlie the Tuna just as well as you do. There have been times in my life where my God was ego. You know, even though I knew better, I've been to seminary. <laughs> but you get out of it to the degree that you give it up. Right? You get out of it to the degree that you give it up. And so Jonah prays this prayer where he basically says, Okay, God, I get it. I, you're God. I get it. You have always been there for me. I get it. It's not my ego. It is not I, but the Father who does the work. Sound familiar? And that's the essence of what happens here. And so after three days, after the amen of that prayer, Jonah is spat out by the big fish on the shores of Nineveh, the city that he was supposed to go to in the first place. As you're looking at your life and you're looking at the things that you know you should do but you don't do because they seem hard or uncomfortable or out of your comfort zone or whatever, just ask yourself, do you want to go there the easy way or the fish way? Because that's the choice. You're going to grow one way or the other. The choice you have is easy way or hard way. So Jonah says, okay, here I am. I'm going to go tell people in the city of Nineveh that they're messing up, that if they don't fix this, they're going to ruin the town. It's all going to be taken over. We got to fix this. We got to save this town. And the Bible says that Nineveh is such a big city that it takes three days to walk, through the, walk across the city. It takes three days to walk through Nineveh. That's a big town by Old Testament standards. And 
it says, the Bible says, and yet... It only took day one, day one of Jonah walking through the town. So he's barely set foot in this town. And he says, everybody who will listen, you guys are messing up. You got to get right with God. You got to remember who you are as children of God. You are misusing your power. And I know you don't know any better, but it's time to wise up. Paraphrasing. But on day one of that, the people of Nineveh go, okay, fine. Got it. What do we need to do? And word carries out to the king, and the king says, okay, we got to fix this. we got to repent. And nobody eat anything. We're all going to fast, and we're going to clothe ourselves in sackcloth. We're going to do everything we can, even put the animals in sackcloth. <laughs> even the animals have to repent, because the king is not taking any chances. Immediately, the people of Nineveh get it. Now, they don't know intellectually. They haven't been to school. They didn't go to Jonah's seminar. But they make the connection, a heart connection, that, you know what, something is wrong, and I need to do whatever I can do about it. And I love it that the king says to the people, we're going to do everything we can. And the Bible actually says, these two words are in my translation of the Bible. Maybe they're in yours too. They probably are. The king says, who knows? Who knows? Maybe God will listen. Maybe God will change his mind. Maybe God will see that we have, we have done things differently. Now, we, go, we know that God doesn't work according to ego and personality, but they do. And so they're uh, approaching the God of their understanding, and that's good enough. Once again, one of the threads throughout this story is any faith is still faith. Don't sneer at it, but nurture it. And so that simple faith of the people of Nineveh works out. And as it turns out, the town is saved. Not really so much by Jonah being a pedantic jerk about it, but by the people being open and receptive to the idea that, oh, wait, did we mess up? Okay, let's fix it. We're going to do everything we can because who knows? They get their ego out of the way. Oh, what a lesson. And isn't it amazing that these simple people who Jonah can't even be bothered to deal with get the lesson so easily on day one? Instead of going through the storm and being thrown overboard and being in the fish and all of that stuff, Jonah is determined to learn things the hard way. But so, the town is saved, the whole kingdom, including the animals. And Jonah hates that. <laughs> he hates it. He, he, it drives him crazy. I think he kind of wanted these people to not get it. He wanted them to be other. He wanted them to be the enemy. He wanted them to be not so smart, you know, or something. But they don't need to be smart. They need to be coming from their heart. And I, I hate the rhyme, but there it is. Jonah is so goofy about the whole thing that he goes and finds a place up on a, up on a ridge where he can watch what happens to the town because he's kind of hoping that... Uh, They'll mess up. He kind of wants to see it. He's got a front row seat for this. He's got his popcorn there. And nothing bad happens. Well, nothing bad happens to the people of Nineveh. As Jonah is sitting there, the Bible says God plants a tree. And this tree wonderfully, spiritually, and magically, if you want, grows up and gives him shade. And it's lovely. 
It's a lovely place to be because the sun is beating down and the wind is coming and it, it's, it's not so good if you're outside of this wonderful little spot that God has provided for Jonah. And so Jonah is sitting in his shade, eating his popcorn, hoping that something bad happens to the sweet people of this town. But then after that first night, the Bible says God put a worm there that, that eats that tree. And then by the next morning, the tree falls over. And there's Jonah in the burning sun and the harsh wind and the elements in general. And Jonah says, you know what? I am so mad about this, I could die. I, I just can't do this. And reading that, it's easy to go, what, what's your problem, man? Why are you so mad you could die? And God's voice comes to Jonah and God says, are you mad about the shade tree? And Jonah again repeats, I'm so mad I could die. And God says, let me get this straight. You are angry about a tree that you did not plant, that you did not water, that you did not love, that you did not nurture, that you did not care for. You're mad about that? Well, then maybe you can understand why I care about a town full of people who don't know their left hand from their right. By the way, that's where that saying comes from, right here in the book of Jonah. A town full of people who don't know their left hand from their right. I love it that that's where the story is left. It's almost like a cliffhanger where we're allowed to draw our own conclusions about what happens next. It ends with a question, a question from God to Jonah. Don't you get it? I love that so much because it's so easy to get angry with people for not doing it our way. It's so easy to want to affix a punishment that people ought to suffer because we've suffered, that people ought to have things hard because we've had things hard. But what is the point of that? When we grow up, when we mature past our own ego stuff, we don't need somebody else to suffer just because we did. That's ego and that's silly and that's getting in the way. We get to the place where we want everyone to succeed, even if success is not our success, even if happiness is not our happiness. There's something beautiful about this story because God is basically saying, look, I just love these people. And we start to uncover a deeper relationship with God. It happens right here. You know, people say a lot of really negative things about the Old Testament idea of God, and they think about all the battles and the Philistines being slayed and all that, and I get it. That's rough stuff. But remember, we're talking about people's conception of God, and people grow, and their understanding and their experience of what God is grows too. If you have a very primitive idea about love, if it represents selfishness and manipulation to you, it's not that love is weird and manipulative. It's a you are. Until you grow up, you're going to have a weird experience of love. It's like that. It's like that with everything, isn't it? Jonah has this moment, and we don't know what happens with Jonah next, but I like to think that maybe he gets the point. It's easy to, to be so wrapped up in this magic shade tree that you're so mad when it's gone. Maybe it should be easy to get wrapped up in the success of our fellow human beings. That's what's at stake. Faith, here's the lesson, faith doesn't work like people think it does. 
It's not like you have faith and you've turned on the light switch. Faith is a knowing, yes, but it's also something that requires participation and it requires acknowledgement. This is something that Jonah learns. My friends, you have been called to do something. And maybe you don't understand all the details of it yet because it's hard to give ourselves to something like that in this day and age. I get it. But you've been called to something to love somebody, to reach out, to learn a thing, to do a thing, to experience a thing that's outside of your comfort zone and what you thought was what you were going to have happen next in your life. Look, guys, the whole world has been turned upside down. Can it be okay with you that you don't know what's going to happen next? Can it be okay with you that people who are different than you deserve all the love and happiness that you deserve? Because that's what's on the table today. So love somebody, even if it's a sweet, innocent faith that they represent that's not your sophisticated ideas. Love somebody, and if you love them, set them free. Because after all, freedom is a choice. Thank you. I want to thank you for this opportunity to talk together and just share these ideas. I want to thank you for all the ways that you reach out I want to let you know how important it is to like and subscribe and share. Please share these lessons with people. There's a share button somewhere in the corner of your screen right now. Click that button and share this movie in your social media. Send somebody an email. Tell somebody, hey, you know what? I watched this Sunday service and it, it made a difference for me. Or can you believe what that crazy guy said? Or anything in between, I'll take it. Share the message. It means everything. And I want to remind you that we couldn't bring these messages to you without your gifts of love and substance. So thank you for doing that. We're counting on you to do that. Let's hold those gifts in our minds and hearts and bless our offering together. And remember, you can do that by going to donate.waterandstonechurch.com. Let's bless that offering. God is my source, my unending supply. With this gift, I carry my gratitude into action. God's blessings flow through me and fill my world. I give and I live with radical joy. Amen. And I want to remind you that wherever you are, you're not there alone. Let us pray together as a family. God, I'm ready for change. My heart is open. I'm not afraid anymore. My life is in peace and on purpose. And so it is and so it does. Amen. Now go show the world what love looks like today. I'll see you next week. Hey, this is Dieter Randolph, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the lesson and hopefully for taking some time to apply what we talked about in your life. That's where this really happens. I love the idea that church isn't something that happens to you, but rather something that happens through you. What you do, based on what you've heard, can change your life and really change the world. This is just the beginning of a bigger journey. And if you want to continue your journey with us, I'd love for you to like and subscribe us on YouTube where you can watch the videos. Come join us in person. Our street address and all kinds of information is at our website, waterandstonechurch.com. All of that sort of thing. If you want to give electronically, that's where to do it. If you want to connect with us on social media, and you really should, do that there, waterandstonechurch.com. Thank you for being a part of this work.